0: Every artist, every creator, every entrepreneur, we all have faced rejection, we've all faced setbacks on the road to finding out who we are, to find out what our work is supposed to be like, and certainly if our goal is to find an appreciative and uh, and, and grateful audience that is willing to pay for your work. And today on the show, we have an absolute brilliant expert on this topic I wanted to share a few lessons from a class that I took from a woman who you will get to know shortly. Her name is Lisa Congdon. If you're not familiar with Lisa's work, she is an amazing fine artist. She's an illustrator and an author, probably I would say best known for uh, super beautifully colorful paintings. Uh, Also, she's a guru in the hand lettering space where she works for huge clients like the Museum of Modern Art, REI, Harvard, uh, Martha Stewart, Chronicle Books, lots of others. Um, And in this uh, particular podcast, you're going to get a lot of value around a handful of very specific topics that I want to just give you a little insight in right now. Specifically, embracing yourself as an artist, as a creator. And believing that you have something to offer the world. This is a huge thing for me personally and and having talked with thousands of people around the world. Just identifying as a creator in a world where you probably at some point were told you weren't creative. Or maybe your parents or someone in your life that you respect latched onto the concept of a starving artist. Or you should get a real job. Lisa, perhaps better than any other, does a great job of tackling that as frankly a BS excuse. Uh we also in this episode Lisa talks about fear. It's what you do with that fear that matters. It's not it's not trying to create an absence of fear. That's the wrong objective. It's about how to channel that fear in a way that is beneficial for you, your art and your goals and objectives. We also talk about <laughs> Uh, or Lisa rather goes into great detail about setting goals, setting creative goals for you. Uh, she does a mind mapping exercise. She reviews, which is incredibly powerful. Um, I first consumed this class, listening to it through the Creative Live iPhone app. Uh, so I didn't do these activities because I was actually driving at the time. But I went back, and what you're seeing in the or you're listening to rather than in this podcast today is just a few of my biggest takeaways, the lessons that I love the most. But I did go back. And and in case any of this resonates with you, she's got a, car, a course on Creative Live uh, that's I think seven or eight hours. So if this resonates, go check that out. I did. I took the whole class. Uh, her mind mapping exercises were were worth the price of admission by themselves. Um, you know, this is not at all a commercial. Don't, don't check it out if you don't want to. But holy smokes, um, even these three takeaways that from the the, the lessons that I highlight here. Incredibly valuable. I know you're gonna love it, and I'm gonna get out of the way so you can start enjoying it. But before we do, just a super quick word from our sponsor. Check this out, y'all. This episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show is sponsored by Creative Life for Business. This is different than the regular old Creative Live. So whether you love passionately love where you work or it's sort of like me. Or on the other side, if it's a creative wasteland and you want to inspire some change in the place that you work, you're not alone. Studies say that three out of four people—that's right, seventy-five percent of people—say they're not living up to their creative potential at work. If so, I want to introduce you to Creative Lives' newest product. It's called Creative Live for Business, and in a nutshell, it's a way to get access to all of Creative Lives' content for your entire team and/or entire company. And maybe bring in some much-needed energy and innovation to that team or company simply by going to creativelive.com/teams. Now, Creative Live for Business is already in service of several of the top creative firms on the planet and a powerhouse list of many of the Fortune 100 top brands. These brands care about creativity and innovation, and you know what? These companies pay for this for their employees. So it doesn't matter if you're a team of five people 55, or, or if there's 50,000 people in the company. If this sounds interesting to you and you want to check it out, either you can check it out or refer your boss to Creative Live by sending them to creativelive.com/teams. Remember, the most forward-thinking companies, they prioritize things like creative skills like design thinking, leadership, collaboration, wellness, and again, with Creative Live for Business, you get access to all that taught by some of the top instructors in the world, all on Creative Live. So, again, you can visit or send your boss a link to slash teams to learn more. In
1: 2001, I took my first painting class. I was 31 years old. Um, And I was really nervous because I had not taken an art class since I was a kid. I didn't take art in high school. I did not take art in college. Um, I come from an artistic family. My mom is an artist. And um, so I grew up in a creative home where we did lots of activities. So I was definitely, I learned how to sew at a young age and I was definitely crafty. But if anyone had said, are you an artist or are you artistic, I would have said, absolutely not. So taking that class felt pretty scary. However, it changed my life, not overnight and not in an explosive way. But it set me on a trajectory that led to where I am today, and 15 years later, I am a working artist. Um, At first it was a hobby, um, a hobby that gained momentum and grew exponentially as I developed my skills, my artistic skills, and as I began to share what I was doing on this new thing called the internet. Um, You know, it used to be that in order to share your work with other people when you were an artist, you had to have somebody representing you. You had to have an agent, you had to have a gallery, you had to have somebody who had cachet and a a name to share your work. Um, And these days, anybody can share their work, which is great. Several years later, in 2007, I left my job and started my self-employed life. Along the way, there was no guidebook for me. Um, there, were, um, there were some books out there, but none of them were super current at the time. Um, none of them talked about how to use the internet. Um, and things like art licensing um, and fine art and illustration were very exclusive kinds of careers at that time. And I was pretty intimidated by all of those things. I didn't know anything. I didn't go through traditional tra- channels to get where I was. I didn't go to art school. And then what I learned, of course, is that my friends who did go to art school didn't know either. <laughs> um, now there are just so many more professional practice classes in, in art school. Um, but you know, even folks who, how many of you graduated from art school? You know, Several of you, like half the studio audience, and yet you're here, right? because we, uh, there's so much more to learn besides you know, how to paint or draw. Um, even platforms like Etsy were new at the time, and I felt intimidated by that. But over the course of time, I asked a lot of questions. And I talked to anybody who would listen about you know, um, what I should do. And I read a lot, anything I could find. And I tried lots of different things, and some of them worked really well, and some of them didn't. Um, And so what is in the the book, in particular, and what I'm going to talk about in the class are lots of things that did work. I also talk about a few mistakes that I made and things that didn't work. And I will hopefully remember to share some of those with you, because I feel like the stuff that we do that flops is just as important in our journey as the stuff that we do that works and catches on. Um, So, as awkward as it felt, I also began to spread the word about what I was doing on whatever um, platform I could find. And at the time, this was around, by this point it was like 2005-ish, and there was no Facebook yet, no Twitter, um, no Instagram. I did start a blog, which is different than the blog I have today, and, and I joined Flickr, which still exists, but at the time, like that was the place, if you were a visual artist, a photographer, that was a place you met people, that was the place where you started to share your work. And I began to spread the word about what I was doing. And um, I was hoping, of course, that um, people would, hire me for an illustration job, that they would um, ask me to be in a gallery show, um, that they might want to buy something of mine. And for the first few years that I was out on my own, after 2007 in particular, I felt a a certain level of frustration because those things all started to happen for me, but they still weren't enough to pay all my bills. And that felt frustrating, right? I'm sure some of you already have opportunities that you're getting, but it's not, it's not bringing in a full-time income. So it felt really important to me that once I figured out that this is what I wanted to do, that I figured out how to do it so that it could pay all my bills and then some, that I could really flourish, financially and otherwise. So I kept at it, and I was just hoping to hit a tipping point. And then finally, in 2010, I have good news, I did. Um, <laughs> All of a sudden, literally, not overnight, but <laughs> it sort of happened in this weird way. It was uh, October of 2010. All of a sudden, things just started happening for me. And since then, the opportunity has been so great that it is almost as overwhelming sometimes as the frustration I felt <laughs> before when I felt like nothing was happening. And that's the, that's sort of the other side of this story of success that you have. Like we all have dreams. I remember I used to sit, lay in bed and i try to fall asleep at night and I would think, gosh, if I could be anywhere in a few years, where would I be? And I, I will be in this place where I can have a range of opportunities and I can choose the ones that are best for me and it's all gonna feel so easy. <laughs> and, um, and then that thing happened and it wasn't easy. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> I had, um, I had all of this opportunity and I don't like saying no, and I had to choose which things were gonna be best for me. So I still struggle with that. So we'll talk about that also. And so I learned a lot. I've learned a lot over over the, the period of struggle, the period of opportunity. And in 2012, um, I started writing those things down. And um, I started talking to Chronicle Books about writing a book, about my experience. Um, they already have a series uh, started by a woman named Meg Alasco, It's the ink series. It started with a book I think it was called Craft Ink and then there was Creative Ink and Mom Ink and Blog Ink. And so they asked me to write Art Ink. And um, I got really excited about it because, of, of course nervous, but um, uh, I, I really felt like the generosity that I had experienced um, among other artists in helping me get where I had gotten Um, was something that I wanted to give back and share. So that's part of why I wrote the book. And I also interviewed about 20 people uh, for the book because I also know that there's a lot about the art world for which I'm not an expert. We'll be talking about um, dreaming big and really thinking about where you want to land in a few years as an artist. Like, what is your dream scenario? I want you to start thinking about that right now as I'm talking. And then we're going to get into... Um, taking those big dreams and breaking them down into really actionable steps. Like, you might have a dream to be a full-time illustr- illustrator or to land um, a contract with a, with a gallery, but how the heck do you get there? Um, so they give you information that will help you plan your steps to, to try to get there. Embrace yourself as an artist. This is really the topic of chapter one of my book, I am an artist and I periodically do public speaking and a lot of what I talk about is this idea of ownership as an artist and of really owning what we do, especially those of us who are self-taught, any self-taught people in the room. We often feel like imposters, even people who went to art school and went through traditional channels feel (laughs) like imposters half the time. Um, and, And so this idea of embracing ourselves as legitimate and genuine, You know, when somebody asks you, what do you do? You say, I'm an artist, right? It's important because we all experience doubt. And all of this putting our work into the world can feel incredibly nerve-wracking. Maybe you have graduated from art school, but you haven't made or sold any work in years, and you're trying to get back into it. Maybe you're you're worried your work just doesn't compare, and you don't have a shot. and yet, the, the reality is that believing this is possible and believing that you have something to give the world is really the first step, and we're gonna keep coming back to the, that idea that, that believing this is possible is the first step. It can take, some of you will leave this class feeling so empowered and so ready, and some of you may still not feel ready. For some people, it takes a really long time, and that's okay, and just know that that's normal. All right. How many people have heard of the starving artist myth? Okay, you're all familiar. So let's talk about it for a second. As a culture, we've traditionally separated art from money. The idea is that art, in order to be good and pure, had to be made by somebody who was not concerned with making money from it. Um, From this grew the starving artist myth. We also, as a culture, you may not believe these things, and that's good if you don't, but as a culture, we've traditionally believed that only a chosen few make it in the art world. How many have heard that before? Right? And that actually used to be true. But now we have this thing called the internet, which has leveled the playing field, and it's great. So many more opportunities. Artists, subjective. Our careers feel tenuous. Right? So we say, even I wake up in the morning and say, what if tomorrow all these people who follow my work and think it's awesome all of a sudden, and want to buy it, all of a sudden don't like it anymore, and then I become obsolete. Um, because really the value of our work um, out in the world is based on whether or not people buy it or like it or share an interest in it. And, um, and so that's part of the starving artist myth is that you know, it's all very tenuous and, and fragile, our careers are. We've been conditioned to believe that struggle is inherent in making art, and I'm here to tell you, it sort of is. But but that's actually a good thing. If you're not struggling, if you're not out of your comfort zone, you're not pushing yourself hard enough, okay? All right, so the thriving artist mindset, which is what we sort of want to get to. Starving artist myth is just that, a myth. There was a time when, for the world um, of artists, was clo- a very closed, dark, and mysterious place. Um, those days are over. New media new ways of connecting in the world has really changed the landscape for artists. And actually, it's changed the landscape for writers, for engineers, for scientists, for everybody. This isn't just about artists. This is about everyone in the world. The world is a much bigger and smaller place all at the same time. I. Um, I do believe and I have witnessed time and time again that I, uh, a combination of talent, which you all have, strategic choices, great customer service and self-promotion are what it takes to build a career. And if you combine all of those things and a few other things that we're going to talk about, you've got an amazing shot. I would also add up really hard work in there, it's <laughs> super important. Um, and as I said, new media has opened up a whole new world for us that didn't exist before. All right, however, we are scared. How many people feel scared about putting their art into the world? All right, it's totally normal. If you didn't raise your hand, you're lying. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, um, fear feels real. Fear is a feeling, it's an illusion in a sense. It feels real because we have, I was feeling some fear this morning before I got up here. Um, The makeup artist was talking me down a little bit. Um, But um, it's a feeling, right? And it has physical symptoms. And um, it feels real, so it is real for us. And um, so the idea is not to sort of ignore it, because it's there. There are all kinds of fears associated with making and selling art, including not good enough, fear that others' work is better than mine, I might fail, I might be rejected, Um, It could all disappear in a nanosecond, even if I am successful. I fear being mocked or ridiculed or criticized. I fear everyone will notice. I fear no one will notice. Right? Both are real for us. I fear success. I fear failure. But we know that the best way, and you, you, you know this, even if you're not sure you know it, but you do know it, the best way to manage fear is to acknowledge, embrace, and use it to motivate yourself. Okay, so the idea is to give fear, I wrote a blog post about this once, give fear a bear hug. Like, acknowledge it and use it. Don't try to ignore it or run away from it. Fear, if you're not feeling fear, you're probably not outside your comfort zone and being outside your comfort zone is really important. All artists experience fear and anxiety. I, don't, I, I talk about this a lot, but I don't know if any of you have ever seen that um, documentary about um, Gerhard Richter, who's a famous painter, probably one of the most famous living painters. And it's, if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. It's called Gerhard Richter Painting. And here's this guy who is German, probably in his 60s, maybe even early 70s now, um, one of the most famous living painters, very accomplished, You know, solo exhibitions in major museums all over the world. And in this film, it's very clear he has a lot of anxiety about his work and about sharing his work and about whether his work is good enough or done. And I remember watching that and thinking, oh, (laughs) you mean this never goes away? And it's true, it doesn't. And that's okay, because that means that we're always sort of like pushing the envelope. The, The idea is to get comfortable with the fear. Successful people manage fear differently. They use it and they don't let it stop them from moving on to the next thing. They're not paralyzed by it. I'm not gonna teach you in this class how to not be paralyzed by fear. I can't do that. <laughs> um, there are lots of ways to, to approach it. Um, but it, if, if you feel like fear is paralyzing you, then that is really sort of the first step is to, work, is to attempt to work through that. And I don't think that has to happen before you launch your career. It needs to happen simultaneously. All right, what about rejection and criticism? Um, Another sort of like the thing that we're sort of afraid of the most, right? Art is subjective, as we talked about earlier, but it's part of what we do. This this idea of rejection and criticism, whether it's um, I posted a photo of my new painting on Instagram and no one commented. You know, like something as sort of little as that to I entered a juried show and I didn't get in and I got some hard feedback from the, from the juror, you know, the, the, the guest juror, something big like that. It's just part of what we do. Writers experience it. Anybody who's um, innovative and creative experiences that, we are, by nature, what we do makes us vulnerable. When we put what we do into the world, if we feel vulnerable, it's part of what we do. So it's never going to go away, so you might as well. Befriend it. And another important thing is separating the personal from the professional. When people give you feedback on your work, more often than not, it's not about you or whether you're a good person or whether you have any talent even. It is, it's just some professional feedback. Those of you who went to art school, how many of you, again, you experienced crits, right? Where you probably felt like you wanted to cry afterwards. Sometimes I feel like I would be a better artist if I had a little bit more of that. Um, And I feel like that is an advantage of going to art school. It breaks you down a little bit. You get used to it. Um, And also, learn to distinguish what's helpful and what to ignore. You get to decide. You are the boss of your career, and you're the boss of your art. So you get to decide what you're going to listen to, what really feels like helpful criticism that you can use to make your work better or to make your path easier or what you can do differently and what you're going to ignore because you don't agree with it. You're the boss. Again, at the core, you're going to see this graphic a lot over the next eight segments is believing, at the core is believing it's possible. The challenge is shifting your beliefs, and we'll begin to work on that. And some of that happens just through action on really practical things because you realize it's not that hard. All right, from starving to thriving, here's how to do it. support, your, Surround yourself with a supportive community. We talked about that earlier. If you don't have one, start to find one. And the internet is a great place for that, um, as well as sort of getting involved in your, your arts community wherever you live. Um, surrounding yourself with supportive pe- people, family, friends, mentors. Write stuff down religiously. Um, I truly believe that when you get your your worries out onto paper, there is a release that happens that is very profound. I carry a notebook with me everywhere and I write as much as I can down in it or draw sometimes. Um, I also write down all my ideas so I don't forget them. Um, I write down just about everything that comes to my mind. And I feel like writing stuff down is really important. No one ever has to see it. You never have to publish it you want to write a blog post about it on your blog, that's great, but really it's your way of sort of releasing and writing. Begin to chart your path. I'm going to use this term charting your path to sort of cover a lot of what we're going to do in the next two segments, starting very quickly with, with Gabriella as our, as our first guinea pig. Um, that includes vision mapping, which is basically brainstorming. All your big goals for the next one to five years and letting yourself dream big about what you, where you want to land, at least you know, initially as an artist, without using the words, I'm not sure if I can do this or I don't know if this is realistic or maybe I don't have the skills for, for this, letting all of that go. And then we're going to take those big, sort of lofty goals and break them down into really practical goals and action steps that will help you to get there. The last thing is to go outside of your comfort zone every day. I pretty much live outside my comfort zone, which means I'm a little anxious a lot of the time. But it it serves me well. And I think as artists, this is a place where we have to go, whether it's in your work, right, in your creative process, pushing your work. Or whether it's in promoting your work and really sort of taking on this idea of like putting your work into the world and feeling like so nervous about it because you've, you're afraid of what people will think, um, to um, embarking on some aspects of business that may, as a right-brained person, may feel really uncomfortable to you because you're very um, you're, because you're very right-brained and organizing things maybe isn't your thing. So go outside of your comfort zone every day. All right. So, overview of the goal setting process, which we're going to start with. Vision mapping, we're going to start with that. Core values, I'm going to have you um, make a list of all the things that feel important to you. These are your values that you're going to keep in mind for um, you know, the next, uh, um, you know, for your art career. Like, what are the things that are important to you and that you want to always bear in mind? We'll go more into that soon. Intermediate goals, these are sort of manageable goals that you can accomplish in a week or a month or two months or three months that stem from the big goals on your vision map. And then actionable tasks, these are the things that you can do in one day or one hour to sort of get you closer to your intermediate goals and and the big goals on your vision map. Don't worry, I'm gonna go back over all of that and give you examples and all of that very soon. So, vision map. Now, this is a tool. It's like a tool I've been using since I worked in a nonprofit organization um, for many years, and I worked under this really wonderful executive director who um, was one of the most visionary people I've ever met. She just retired, actually after running the same education nonprofit for many years. And she used to always bring in people to inspire us and to teach us new leadership skills and things like that. And um, one of the things I learned how to do in working with her was this idea of brainstorming and vision mapping. So your name doesn't actually have to go in the middle. It can be, you could write my goals, or you know, I'm going to show you an example of a vision map that I made a few years ago, Um, and in the middle it says, Remainder of 2010, these are the things. Now, I'm gonna be really vulnerable and put this up here. This is an actual vision map I made that I found. Um, it's kind of messy, but it just shows it doesn't have to be pretty. I love the one on the bottom right, less ego. <laughs> <laughs> and I was probably telling myself not to be so concerned with what other people thought about me or my work at the time. This was this this was um, early 2010. This was before I hit my tipping point. You can see on there, too, I wanted more illustration jobs. I wasn't getting enough. Now I wish I, I had less <laughs> sometimes. I wanted to make a pattern collection, which I've done in spades since then, but I don't think I had made one yet then. Maybe I had made a few individual patterns, but no pattern collection. I wanted to get more organized. That still would be on my vision map today. Um, more art sales. I wanted to sell more work. I wanted more balance in my life, still struggling with that. (laughs) Um, I was really wanted to concentrate my efforts more. I wanted to get out of debt. I have done that. Um, I wanted to write a kid's book proposal, which never happened. That also shows that sometimes you write stuff down that you end up changing your mind about because other stuff takes over. And I also wrote Compassion on there. So who knows (laughs) what that was about? (laughs) Um, Maybe towards myself or my partner. I'm not really sure. So I was using this, this tool, you can see at the time, to um, think about how I wanted, you know, the things I wanted to focus on for the rest of that year. You can use a vision map for anything. For the purpose of this class, we're going to use the vision map to brainstorm big goals for, um, for the next one to five years around your, your goals as an artist, okay? So your personal life goals and stuff are great, but for the purpose of this class, let's let's focus on your art career. And they're big, okay? And I'm going to model this with with my friend Gabby. (laughs) Um, And you, in your packet, have one. If you don't have a packet and you're out there in Internet land, you can... um, Draw one, really easy. It's basically a circle with rays coming out of it. You can draw, you can write your goals, your big goals, your, I'm calling them giant goals um, on these lines. Or you can do what I did and make like circles at the end, whatever's easier for you or whatever you like best. I don't want you to get hung up on things like, what if that's not realistic? Or what if I don't have the skills for that? Um, I don't have examples, but I'm going to tell you, written on the slideshow, but I'm going to tell you some. So it might be something like get gallery representation. See how big that is and how many things would need to happen before you got there, but that's like, that's where you want to land. Publish a children's book. This is the sort of size and flavor of the kind of goal I'm talking about. Your goals might be completely different from this. Have an illustration career where I have continuous jobs coming in. Have a thriving Etsy shop that pays half my income. By the way, that's the one we're gonna. I'm gonna work through in terms of examples um, that I give you is this Etsy, Etsy shop example because it's really concrete. How to things you can do to start an Etsy shop. Okay. So next up, let's have Gabby come on up. All right. Um, no, you can leave that. Okay. Um, and you can sit in my in my chair and um, go ahead and okay. have a seat. So Gabby, tell us about. Who you are, you're, I, I'm calling you Gabby, but your name is Gabriella. Well, yes, it's Gabriella, but I go by Gabby. <laughs> okay. Yes, yes. I met Gabby, actually. I've met her several times. Yes, we met. At conferences. She took a class from me once. You actually live in Los Angeles. Oh, yes. So Los you Angeles came up area. here. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So
2: um, tell us about what you do as an artist. So um, I'm an aspiring illustrator, and um, I just love Lisa Scondon's, um, just your career, and you're such a role model to to me and hopefully a lot of people. So um, uh, my background is in graphic design. So I've uh, worked with um, excellent colleges and universities, but um, there was just this thing inside of me that I really fell in love with illustration and this world that I've kind of discovered. And thanks to you, Lisa, and um, other artists, it just opened up this, this world that I wasn't aware of, so. I did not pay her to say that, <laughs> by the way, <laughs> so. Thank you, Gabby. Thank
1: you. Um, and I actually met Gabby for the first time at Surtex, which we're gonna talk about in segment seven, yes. which is a surface design show, so if you're interested in licensing your work, it's, a it's it, she got a booth okay. and exhibited yeah. her work. Yes. And um, so I was at the show, because my agent has a booth, and I was showing some of my work there, and I was roaming the show, and she said, <laughs> Lisa, <laughs> and well, introduced didn't. herself. And, and I've since met her several yeah. other times. So this is actually how you meet people who can become your friends and mentors, is by grabbing them even when you feel shy. Yes. So yeah. um All right, while we do this together, you can do it yourself on your sheet. So I want you to just take a second and think. If you haven't thought about this yet, you should start now. And I'm sure, I'm sure all of you have thought about it in some way or another. Think of at least two two places, if not three. You don't wanna have too many, because that's gonna feel overwhelming. Two like really big goals for your art career. So I'm gonna draw an example of a map here, and I'm just gonna write Gabby's name in the middle. And one B. Uh, Oh one B. (laughs) Thank you. See, the whole time I was emailing you, I was misspelling it. (laughs) All right. Um. Sorry. (laughs) I used to teach first grade, so. Um, Okay, Gabby. Yes. um, Tell us about one of your goals. Big goals. Um, One of my big goals is still uh, licensing. Licensing. So So she wants to get to a place Mm -hmm. where she's regularly licensing her work. Mm -hmm. So let's write that up here. I always like I misspell licensing. is L-I-C-E-N-S-I-N. Right?
2: Yeah. Okay. All right. What else? Um, I've always, a children's book. She wants to publish a children's book. And it could be a simple, like an ABC's book or. Right. So not necessarily a story book, yeah.
1: but just a children's book. Mm-hmm. Okay. Next. Um, Editorial illustration. She wants to break into editorial (laughs) illustration. Um, We're going to talk about editorial illustration in segment 7 also. So editorial illustration is basically illustrating for magazines and newspapers um, and sometimes um, blogs and things like that. So let's write that here.
2: Any others? Um, And uh, kind of like larger canvases paintings. Yeah, she
1: wants to paint. She wants to paint on canvases. She wants to be a painter. No, there we go. You could just (laughs) say it.
2: I want to be a painter.
1: (laughs) I'm just going to write it that way. Be a painter. Okay. So let's step back. Mm -hmm. Let's just focus on these four Mm -hmm. and What's great about these and what makes them big goals is that there's a lot of stuff, if Gabby hasn't, isn't already on the path to these things, there's a lot of stuff that needs to happen in order for her to get there, right? It's not like she's gonna wake up tomorrow, like, you know, envision herself as a editorial illustrator and get her first job at the New York Times (laughs) tomorrow, right? There's things that Gabby can do that are gonna help move her career in that direction. Likewise for all of the others. And that's the great news is that, and this is what I learned, is that having the big goals is important. That's always the first step. You want to keep your eyes on the prize. Like if you hear that phrase all the time, keep your eyes on the prize, the prize is the place you want to get or the places you want to get because you never want to put all your eggs in one basket. That's another thing I want to say. So... These are all the places that Gabby wants to land. And what I learned is because my list looked almost identical to this (laughs) four, five, six, seven years ago, and I started to do certain things that got me to the place where I was doing all of these things, and they're very concrete because sometimes the goals, they feel big and nebulous, like, I don't even know where to start. I'm so overwhelmed, and that's why it's important to... I'm going to use this term backwards mapping, right? You start with the place on the map that you want to land, and then you sort of move from big to little in terms of what you can do to get there. So in segment two, we're going to go even deeper on these. Um, Okay, Thank you, Gabby. That's all I need from you you for now. Thank you. Sit down. Um, Oh, yes, of course. (laughs) I love hugs. Okay. Um, All right. Now, I'm going to ask some of you, and you've got your microphones there. Um, Maybe as you're writing here, hopefully you've got at least two things down. You can, if you would like to share what you wrote, what are the things on your vision map, but if you don't want to share that, that's also fine. But what I'd love to know is what did you discover when you were making your your vision map? What what came up for you? And we can also, um, Chris, hear from people out in internet land, too. Absolutely. Um, and uh, also, any questions you have about, about this exercise?
3: All right, well, we, we have some questions that have come in from the online audience that we can touch on right now. And we have a question here. How did you deal with rejection and harsh criticism when you were first showing your work?
1: <laughs> um, I have been fortunate to never get super harsh criticism. Um, I have actually more recently than I did when I was first starting out. It's never easy. Um, There will always be people who don't like what you do. The important thing is to find your audience, right? Um, And most of the time, people who don't like what you do aren't going to tell you. That's the good news. (laughs) <laughs> so it's not like every day when, you know, you think, oh, someday I want to have 100,000 people following on my Facebook fan page, and that's really great, but the, you know also the more people that follow you, the more chances are there's going to be some internet troll or somebody who says something mean. Um, and so, you know, like, that's the thing, that when you're first starting out, you don't necessarily get harsh criticism. It actually comes more the more well-known you become. And... Um, and so, like I said earlier, for me, it's really separating the personal from the professional and also knowing what I'm gonna listen to and what, I'm not, and what I'm gonna ignore. Does this person have any credibility at all? Is it somebody I should listen to? Is it somebody I've offended? You know, Is it somebody I need to apologize to? Or um, where my work is concerned, my work is my work. If you don't like it, go look at somebody else's work. Um, there's room for everybody. Uh, so, so that's sort of a short answer to that, like really sort of understanding and knowing and being confident in yourself so that when somebody criticizes you, um, you don't let it completely ruin your day or break you down. It will ruin your day for about at least 10 minutes. But, <laughs> Great. Okay, all right, no. so what did, this, um, what did this activity bring up for some of you and who, any of you want to share what you wrote down, Darlene? You want to say your name and what you do, too, as you before you start? Hello, my name is Darlene. Um, I do relief printmaking and illustration. And um, in looking at this vision map, what came up for me is I had made one in, in the start of this year in January,
3: and it seemed like pretty lofty, like get my own studio and
1: kind of uh, start doing shows. And since then, I've been doing a lot of that. So what comes up for me is how attainable um, these things are when I really sit down and look at it. Because when it's nebulous and in my head, it seems like this will never happen. But <laughs> in looking at this, it's like, oh, teach
3: motivational art classes. Like that's a thing that can happen pretty easily. So
1: that's that's what's coming up for me. Yeah, that's great. And I think what Darlene is pointing out is really important that these have to feel like something that maybe feels... Like, if it happened, it would be really great, but not so huge that you're going to be overwhelmed in taking steps to get there. Um, and what I get, too, from what you said is that these are things that you enjoy and that you really aspire to, not because they sound great or you think they're going to look great on your resume or you think you might make a lot of money, but things that you know you're going to enjoy doing. Like I feel like connecting ourselves with like, the joy that we get from teaching, making art, doing certain kinds of art um, are really important. Like if we're, you know, it's a, yes, making art for a living is a job, but it can be a super fun job. So thank you for sharing that. Who else? Yeah. And again, tell us your name and um, what you do. Uh,
2: My name is Sylvia Elsevier, and I uh, write poems on demand at events using a typewriter, and I also make typewriter art. Um, what's interesting to me about looking at my vision map and I'm learning, like I'm super overachiever, (laughs) I put like eight extra bubbles in here. (laughs) Um, but what, you know, I was like, Oh God, I'm overwhelming myself.
1: But actually, as I look at the things that are on here, um, I have my foot in the door of a
2: lot of them. So it's encouraging to see that I am actually in the goals that I'm working to achieve. I might not be exactly where I want to be, but, um, I'm kind of there. So I feel really encouraged and a little less overwhelmed, but there are like eight more bubbles I would probably add.
1: <laughs> that's awesome. Did anyone else find themselves in that situation where you wanted to add more bubbles? Yeah, you know, I only put in the one in your workbook, I think I put one, two, three, four, five, six, seven or something like that. Like to me, that's like more than enough. Um, but there are people, I am one of those people who has... I was speaking at a conference earlier this spring, and um, the moderator—I was on a panel, and the moderator of other art- artists as well. And moderator said, oh, "What's next for you? What, would, what are your dream things?" And I was like, "Well, how much time do you have? Like, <laughs> I want to learn how to weave, and I want to make my own clothes, and I want to make put my art on pottery. And I, you know, I like. And that's how I think all of the time is like. What other things can I do? Um, and I don't do them all, lest I." Um, end up getting a divorce because (laughs) all my time would be taken up with that and not on the other relationships in my life. So yeah, so those are all really important things. It's also important to know where to focus, right? And also how many other people sort of saw when they started writing things down that they're already on the path to some of those things, right? And that's great news. Like you probably still feel like there's a lot more Place, you know, a lot more work you have to do, and we're going to break some of those things down, and you're going to get a lot of input over the next eight segments, seven segments about, um, you know, that might help answer your questions that are going to help you get to your goals. Um, so, So that's great. Any, anybody out there?
3: I want to share a couple of comments that have come in. People have really been enjoying this and following along with the workbook. Now this first one from One Big Girl, she says, I'm turning 50 tomorrow and it's also the anniversary of me starting my professional career as a photographer. This has been such a great exercise to really help me see where I want to go, where I'm at, and what it might take to get me there.
1: That's great, and by the way, my best friend Diana is turning 50 tomorrow also, oh, so yeah. happy birthday to Diana and One Big Girl um that's great um i am so encouraged when i think that you know as human beings not just as artists we are we, we sort of grow up in this world where most of us have been told to be really realistic right and to we actually you know i was a sort of a dreamer as a kid and um and a lot of times you not necessarily your parents might be your parents might be your teachers stop daydreaming right stop stop fantasizing get your homework done be realistic, you know? And that's the message a lot of people get when they say they wanna to go to art school or they wanna study design. Design maybe a little less so because at least your parents can envision you getting a job. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's changing for artists too, but, right? We're told to be really realistic, and so this idea of fantasizing about like doing this thing that feels like it's gonna be so much fun and be so enjoyable um, is can be a really like inspiring um, exercise and I think it's important. What did it feel like to dream big or to be able to write down your big goals? For, well, let me ask first, for how many of you, at least in the studio audience, was that the first time you'd ever done that, written them down? All right, we got we had <laughs> like a three, three or four people. Awesome to the rest of you that you're actually already doing that because you'd be surprised how many people don't actually, they might have their their big goals and dreams in their head, but they haven't actually written them down and there's a lot of power in writing things down. Um, And one of the reasons that that's important is this idea of getting what's in your head on paper somehow is an action step. And so I would really encourage you to use the worksheets or use your own paper in this next segment and start writing de- things down. Um, actually start writing some things down because it's a really important step. And then um, by the end you'll have the beginnings of a to-do list for tomorrow. Any, any, um, anybody else in the class want to share any of their big goals from their vision map before we dive into intermediate goals? Sure. All right, so pass the mic down. Tell us your name and what your big, and what you do and what your big goals are. Hello, my name is Natalie Minacho, and I am an artist and an illustrator. Um, and one of my big goals is to be able to comfortably donate 5% of my profits to charitable causes. And that's like a huge thing for me. The philanthropy has always been a big goal for me. So um, that's one of my like big overarching goals. Awesome, and I'm so glad you brought that up because... The next thing we're going to do, actually, before we dive into intermediate goals, is talk about core values, and that goal comes from Natalie's core value around giving back, right? And um, so that's that's really, really important. All right, let me let me show you this little graphic. That it's a big graphic. <laughs> um, we're going to keep referring back to this in almost every segment. So we already talked about the center, which is what? (laughs) I can do this, like the core belief. I got this. I can do this. I can reach my goals. Right outside of that is this area called research, goal setting, and planning. All super important. We're already working on setting goals, and we're already making some plans. But what happens if we stay in that rung? if all we do is research and write our goals down? Not a whole lot, right? We need to move to action. And so by the end of this segment, we're gonna start writing down some action steps that you can actually take action on. Because some of your goals are gonna to feel too big. They have to be broken down into smaller steps. And a lot of what's hard is, because, is that you don't always know what your steps should be. Like, you know you want to get there, but you just don't know what you're supposed to do. And so I'm here to answer questions about that. I don't know what you're supposed to do in every situation, um, but I do know some things. A lot of the information about that is in my book. Um, The experts that I'm bringing on can answer questions. So I also want you to feel comfortable to ask questions of, of any of us about just the nuts and bolts of what you should do to reach a certain goal if you're if you're not sure. Okay, so we're gonna keep coming back to this. All right, so this is the chart that you may use, though you should not feel confined by anything that I'm giving you. You are all visual people, and if this flowchart does not make sense to you or you'd like to draw it in some other way, feel free. The idea here is that we are actually working from one giant goal on your vision map, and we're going to then break that down into some intermediate goals, and then into actionable tasks. But before we do that, one of the things I talk about in Art, Inc. is really making sure that whatever you sign up to do in your life is aligned with your core values. And by core values, in this case, I mean values around making and selling your work. For example, let's say that um, you want to become a licensing artist or a commercial artist who licenses her illustrations or her artwork to go on products. But it's important to you that you never sell your work for to a company who doesn't um, use green materials in making their products or that you want to make sure you're only licensing to companies who make really high-quality stuff um, that you would be proud to buy yourself. That's an example of a core value. So in other words, (laughs) another way of thinking about this is how am I not going to sell out, right? And that's going to look different for everybody. What are the things that are important to you in making and selling your work? Because I'm sure we can all think of things that we want to make sure we never do, right? The things that are going to make us feel uncomfortable, give us panic attacks, make us feel embarrassed to say, you know, to show our work online. We want to avoid those things. We want to make the experience of making and selling our work feel good and feel aligned with what's important to us and what what we enjoy and what's meaningful to us. So those are our core values. You probably have other core values around family, and those might filter in a little bit. Um, But right now we're really talking about core values around making and selling your work. Important because you're more likely to execute your work in a way that is satisfying and feels good if you are really conscious of and articulate what your core values are around making and selling work. You'll be able to make decisions with more clarity and purpose. You have to make hard decisions sometimes about what what opportunities to say yes to and what opportunities to say no to. And if you're really clear on your core values, it's gonna make it easier to make decisions because if an opportunity comes your way and it's not aligned, then you might consider it's not a good opportunity. You'll be more able to more clearly communicate with clients and customers. So often, Natalie, right? Natalie might even say um, in her bio on her website that like part of her mission is to give 5% of everything she makes to charity she might even say you know which charities she's donated to and why that's important to her she's going to be able to clearly communicate that value and that value is going to come through in what she does and actually that's part of her story like what's your story what are you about beyond your art what are you about values about how you make or sell your work core values generally stay consistent over time they may change as you get older or as you read more books and learn more about the way the world works. But generally, they're just things that have always sort of been important to you and that feel important to you. The way I like to come up with core values is by asking yourself, making and selling my work will feel good as long as I dot, dot, dot. This is a challenging exercise, but it's really important thing to go through. So, some examples of core values. If I take commercial work, I only want to work for companies whose work I would buy myself. Now, these are examples. You may not have, this may not feel important to you at all. These are just examples, and you may have core values that are totally different. Some portion of the work I make is affordable. You want to be able, you want any person to be able to access your work. You know That might mean, the way that translates is that you offer work at a variety of price points. I work in ways that do as little harm as possible to the environment. That might be a core value to you. It really inform, you know? You were saying that you use recycled materials in your work and that's probably something that's important to you. All right, those are just examples. So we're gonna write our core values so you can start scribbling now and I'm gonna have Gabby come on back into the hot seat. <laughs> so we're gonna dig into Gabby's um, big goals shortly, but before we do that, let's write down some of her core values. So remember to think, making and selling my work will feel good
2: as long as I am true to my um, illustration style. Okay. So I think this is a really
1: important one. She said, am true to my... Illustration style. I have some personal experience with this where um, this happens less to me now, but um, I had some experiences when I was first starting out where I was asked to illustrate some stuff in a way that made me question whether the client had ever looked at my portfolio. And I was like, why are they asking me? Because the examples of the things they wanted me to make... um, were not at all the kind of work that I made. Subject, from subject matter to style. And so that's why it's really important when you get an opportunity to ask as many questions as possible of the person who's offering you the opportunity before you say yes to it, to make sure that, that this feels like a relationship that could be really like, um, that you feel like you can stay authentic and they're still getting what they want. Because when you have to try to, um, if, you, if you say say yes to opportunities where you're having to do something that doesn't feel like it's something you would normally draw or in a style you would normally draw or paint, it's going to feel really awkward and uncomfortable. So I think this is a great one. And it, hap- it can happen. What else? Um,
2: that I enjoy uh, the process while I'm making that art. So how would you know, Gabby, if you wouldn't enjoy the process? Um, I guess I wouldn't accept it to begin with, yeah. right? so right. So, um, and
1: I guess I'm asking that because sometimes mm-hmm. you're
2: going to say yes to opportunities
1: because you think you're going to enjoy the process because it's something you've never done before. And then you take on the opportunity and you're miserable mm-hmm. and yeah. you learn. So in the beginning, there's a lot of trial and error. There's a lot of saying yes to th- opportunities or um, doing things that... Um, that you think might be enjoyable, and then you end up not liking it all. So super important to to open yourself up to opportunities, unless you, of course, know already that it's not something you would enjoy, okay? And the more you know about yourself and your style and the way you work, the easier it's gonna be for you to make decisions about what kind of work to do. And that doesn't just go for licensing and illustration, it's also for fine art. In the fine art world, there's a lot of opportunities. People will invite you to be in shows around particular themes. They'll have requirements about the kind of work that you need to submit, the amount of time you have to complete it. So every opportunity has sort of contingencies attached to it, and you it's important to make sure that you're comfortable with all of them. Yes, anything else?
2: And I guess my one, the third one would be like balance with life, so um, meaning... I know this is hard to achieve in general, but just um, priorities like maybe you know putting your family time and then right. Work time. The, the thing so, isn't going to take over your life, the, right? That's what I mean. Yes.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I'm just going to say won't take over my life. Yeah. I don't know if that's the best way to articulate yeah. it.
2: Mm-hmm. And why is that important to you, Gabby? Because even though I I love art and I love illustration and this world, I also know that's important to. Um, try to balance as much as possible my family and friends and um, you know learning different other areas as well so that's right. Thank you. All right. Thank awesome. You. Thanks thanks for sharing.
1: I'm curious, Chris, both online what people are sharing and then also here. What did you guys come up with for for your core values?
2: I'm Jennifer Gaskin and I'm a graphic designer and I'd like to be taking on more fine artwork that I can be selling in a shop. And For one of my core values, I put that I want to create work that doesn't clutter the world, the lives of my clients, or the Internet.
1: Beautiful. Okay. She doesn't want to make work that's going to clutter the world, the lives of her clients, or the Internet. Nice. Great. All right. Who else? Yes. Name what you do. My name's Catherine Forrest and I do uh, Roman-style mosaics. And uh, one of mine was to work with clients who respect me and my time. Yes. And again, that's one that you don't always know off the bat. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the great thing is when you do work with clients who respect your time and respect you as a professional, they're lovely to work with again and again and again. So that's great.
3: And we have some coming here in oh, the chat great, room, yeah. too. Meg says, my core values revolve around making the world a better place, encouraging community, promoting and valuing real beauty, and helping couples and families see their everyday lives as a true adventure.
1: Oh, wonderful.
3: And then the craftaholic, I like that name, that's fun. My core value is to show the world that art is everywhere. To show the world that you can be a single mom, an artist, a blogger, and a writer, and not be completely insane in the process (laughs) of it
1: all. That's great. Yeah. You know, so many of your core values are going to be around sort of showing the world who you are as a person um, or promoting your work and not necessarily the ethics around even producing your work. So I really like how people are thinking outside the box about this. Anybody else from the audience want to share
2: theirs? Yeah.
3: Pass down the mic.
2: Hi, I'm Rachel. I'm a freelance illustrator and budding graphic designer, so I'll say. Um, one of my core values, and this is more of a hope than a current value is, um, working with clients who pay respectably, respectably, and consciously for my work and will allow me to not compromise financially.
1: Yeah. I think that's a great, a great one. Like this idea, well, you'll, you'll be next. This idea that, um, that you deserve as an artist to be paid for your work. We didn't talk about that this morning um, or earlier when we were talking about you know, the starving artist myth, but um, for so long you know, we've been told that we should be grateful to get any work at all or that we should take work for exposure. And while that may be a criteria for saying yes to something that you will get exposure, I certainly also think it should be a criteria that you get paid and that you get paid what you feel like you deserve. So, um, and the good news about that one is that you always should know upfront, whether you're a fine artist or an illustrator, how much you're gonna be paid for something. You don't have to do the job and then find out like you do with some of these others where <laughs> you, know, you have to learn whether or not the client it respects your time or whatever. You should always know upfront whether you're gonna get paid, you know, how much you're gonna get paid, and that amount needs to feel good to you. It needs to, to feel fair to you especially if that's one of your core values. Yes.
2: My name is Dawn. I'm a graphic designer and illustrator. Um, We talked a little bit about a core value being that our client would respect us and and our style and needs and things like that. But I also think that um, I would need to respect my client as well. Um, For example, if, Someone wants to pay me a lot of money for something, and they might be kind of a jerk or have different, you know, values that I have. I might think twice about um, creating work for them. So I think that's important to think about too. Yeah, I agree.
1: Um, I always say I I, w- I want to work for companies whose products or services I would use because I respect what they do, um, or there or there has to be an aesthetic alignment. Like if it's a company whose aesthetics or don't feel in line with what I do. Is this a company I really want to work with? Or that can go for a gallery too. Is this a gallery that shows work that feels like a a good home for my work because there's there's a union there, there's like a cohesion that's happening? Um, Those are important questions to ask. I know it's very tempting in the beginning when you're first starting out, to say yes to every opportunity that comes your way. But the more you think about what you want and what's important to you, the more power you're going to have in the relationship, and the more um, you're going to be able to attract those things that are aligned with who you are and how you want to make work. Anybody else? Hi, I'm Melanie Ida Chapko, and I am an illustrator, and I make collages and mixed media work. And one of my values is, while I'm making work, I'm empowering other people to be creative. I draw outside a lot and I really cherish those conversations with people who share that they had always longed to draw or they wish they could or there's no way. So I want to continue that supportive element. That's great. So for Melanie, engagement, engaging people is really important. My friend, illustrator Wendy McNaughton, I'm not sure if you're familiar with her work, but so much of her work is going around and Um, illustrating people that she meets on the street and asking them questions. And she creates these beautiful portraits of people and and then, you know, writes about them and what they're doing that day. Um, I think this is a, and so engagement to her and having this sort of relationship with the people that her art is really about her interactions with people and her relationships with people. And it sounds like for you, that's a really similar value. Any others that are coming up?
3: Yeah, we have internet? another one here from Lauren Blair. And she says, I want to be hired by people because they want my style, not because they know I can make them a design on Illustrator. And Comedy Gunball Machine says that their core value is to enlighten through thoughtful golden rule type of children's stories that they're going to be writing.
1: Awesome. Yeah, so this can also inform the kind of work that you end up making. Not just what work you take with clients or galleries, but also can really inform the kind of work that you choose to make and put in your portfolio. And then, and again, this is all—all all of these things. While you might not explicitly write them out on your website, like it's not like on your about page, you're gonna, you're gonna say, "These are my core values." You know, <laughs> you might infuse them somehow. But, um, but if you're if you're making art and selling art in a way that feels good to you and that is is deeply meaningful to you. Um, that's really gonna come through in the story that you tell and in your voice to your audience. Because while your work may be beautiful or interesting um, and people may be attracted to your work, they're going to be more likely to engage with your work and buy your work and hire you um, and ask you to be part of shows if they understand what you're about beyond your artwork or what your artwork is about. Okay, any questions about that? From anybody?
3: Well, we have some general questions that have been coming in, but people have been voting on them, so we do okay. encourage you to vote, and that, that means that people want to know the answer. So Carolina wants to know, have you ever felt like the things that you've been working on have already been done by other artists, <laughs> or that when you started to make them, you're in the middle of it and you decide, what is the point of creating this piece of art?
1: Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like that's one of the greatest challenges of, um, of being an artist is sort of making your work feel really authentic um, and original and unique, right? Especially now, so, so let's talk about what we talked about earlier. The internet is this great place, right? You, anybody can share their work. Anybody can use the internet to promote their work, share their work, have a website. Gone are the days when you need gallery representation. Not that gallery representation isn't amazing, it's, it's a very powerful tool as is illustration representation and all of that. But the playing field's leveled. Like, regular people like me with no art degree can, can can make it as an artist. But the flip side of that is that there's so many people on the Internet sharing their work, right? The playing field's leveled, but it's also really saturated. <laughs> and so how many of you experience this where you turn on the computer in the morning and you're flipping through Instagram or going... To your favorite blogs, and you start to see a lot of stuff that makes you feel like what you're doing is, is for lack of a better word, crap or something, right? <laughs> right? Like, or you're like, oh, or or oh, I had that idea, but this person is already doing it, or whatever. So, um, it's super common. We all experience it. I experience it even um, as somebody who you know regularly makes and sells work, um, even at the level of my career. I'm still constantly feeling intimidated or wondering if I'm um, you know, upping the ante enough on my own work or if I, you know, if I need to do the next thing, um, if I need to reinvent myself because a lot of what I'm doing is being done by other people. So there's always that conversation is always happening. Um, and so, so the answer is like just continue to focus on doing the stuff that you love and really trying to find your unique place in, in the art world. Um, and that is normal to feel frustrated or intimidated or overwhelmed by what you see out there or feel like you're one step behind. But the idea is not to let that paralyze you or stop you. All right,
0: that about wraps it up. But uh, hey, before you bounce, two quick things.